0: And welcome to the second episode of the very unofficial AICP Study Guide Podcast. I'm Jonathan Miller. Thanks so much for joining us again. And today we're going to cover what comes next after deciding to go ahead and pursue AICP certification. The steps and timing can be a tad convoluted. So we'll start there but we will also continue on to the application process, including the general timeframes as well as the criteria questions. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. First, let's see if you are even eligible at this point. The AICP exam, like most professional certifications or licensures, does have eligibility requirements. And they aren't necessarily clear since they do depend on your underlying education. That said, the experience requirements are listed in years, and it is very important to note that these are FTE, or Full Time Equivalent Years. So when we say four years, we mean 8,320 hours. That's 40 hours a week for 52 weeks for four years. And fun fact, 1,820. 680 hours short of the 10,000 hour rule. Insert a little winky face emoji here. Anyways, starting with the most minimal education, let's say you only have a high school diploma, no college. You aren't going to be eligible to take the exam until you've been in the workforce for at least eight full years, which I know seems incredibly daunting. If you have a college degree in, well, really anything that is not planning, you're going to have to accumulate at least four full years of experience. And that's any college degree, by the way. Leisure studies, whatever, the APA does not discriminate here. If planning was not the course of study, it's four years. If you do have a degree in planning, but the institution that you graduated from is not accredited by the APA Planning Accreditation Board, four years. The same goes with this one as well. It doesn't matter if it's a bachelor's, master's, grand master's, deluxe. If it isn't accredited, it's four years of full-time experience for you. If your program is accredited, then a bachelor's degree will come with three years of full-time experience. And if it's a master's degree, it's only two years of full-time experience. Now the status of accreditation does matter. Let's say your institution was going through the accreditation process when you were in school. As long as the institution was accredited at the time your degree was conferred and the institution is still accredited when you apply, you're totally good to go. You will need to submit verification of your education, though, so be sure to have either one, a copy of your diploma, two, An official transcript from the university where you got your degree or three a letter from the university confirming you did get your degree and what date that was conferred to you on official letterhead we are very official here I'd go ahead and get that ready ahead of time because some universities unfortunately may take forever to get it to you and you definitely don't want that to be the holdup So, now that you know how many years of experience you need, the next logical question then is, what exactly counts as experience? Well, unfortunately, there is no good clear-cut answer to this. Essentially, the APA says it qualifies if it meets the APA's definition of professional planning experience, Well, that is amazingly unhelpful, like using a word in the definition of the same word. But whatever, they essentially define it by a set of criteria that you will have to respond to later in the application. So let's look at those briefly now, and we'll circle back to them later. The APA uses three criteria to decide if your experience is professional planning experience, and those are 1 demonstrating a professional level of responsibility and resourcefulness while applying a planning process, two, evaluating multiple impacts to a community when implementing professional planning tasks, and three, influencing public decision-making in the public interest. We will cover these more in depth in a bit, but just marinate on those while we cover the rest. If you work for a government entity of some kind, like a local agency such as a township, municipality, or county agency, or a regional one like a state government or regional planning commission or council of governments, it's pretty clear that your experience there should be able to qualify. Internships can count but it's important to note what tasks you were performing at your internship because depending on how much BS work your internship had you do and I know unfortunately a lot of places give out plenty of BS work to the interns it actually may not qualify it also won't qualify if it was part of an educational requirement so that internship you got because it was required for your master's degree won't count here no double dipping that said more internships aren't full-time but part-time experience does count though it is prorated to a full-time equivalent so for example if you worked part-time at say 20 hours a week for six months that equates to three months of full-time experience and the experience requirement if you remember is full-time so it's important to prorate that out The AICP Guide Part 1 also talks about, quote, non-traditional planning experience, unquote. This essentially provides a little extra leeway to allow some more outside-of-the-box experience. Just make sure you can relate it back to those three criteria we brought up a minute ago. It's almost better to actually think about what doesn't qualify as professional planning experience. For example, the APA does not consider what they call pre professional work as experience. This means things like setting up meetings, making a municipal boundary map, sending out public notices, etc., etc., etc. These factors are mostly going to come into play when checking if your internship experience will qualify or not. Also, if your work is primarily in another discipline like landscape architecture or law, it may not qualify either. So just because you may do a small planning thing here and there, your entire experience doesn't qualify. Conversely, if you do send out public notices, but it's just a small part of what you do, your experience still will qualify. The important thing here is look at your experience as a sum of the parts. Now, it's not as simple as just chucking the stuff down on the application because they aren't just taking your word for it. You will need to get letters of verification for all of the experience that you list. So if you only list one place of employment that covers the whole time frame, that's one letter of verification. You do need a letter which addresses each position separately. So if you got promoted, well, congrats. But those will need addressed separately, which can usually be done in the same letter. These letters also need to be written by your supervisor. And if they aren't around anymore, then human resources or the principal, CEO, president, partner, whatever moniker your company uses can write it as well. If your employer happens to be out of business or just doesn't exist anymore for one reason or another it may still qualify but that's on a case-by-case basis so you will need to contact the AICP for more direction there just make sure all letters have this information 1 your name super important 2 your APA ID number You'll need to provide this to make sure you are a current APA member, of course. Three, the position and title that you held. Four, the dates that you were employed. This is where they will specify whether it was part-time and if so, how many hours per week on average and five, a summary of your duties. They also need to include their own contact information as well. Here's a tip to help though. Do not, leave anything to chance. Go ahead and pre-write a letter for them. If they want any changes, they will go ahead and do so. But remember, this is to support you in taking the exam, so you will want to make absolutely sure that the Summary of Duties translates to professional planning experience. The next thing you'll have to do on the application is answer the three criteria questions these essays essentially provide you the opportunity to show how the experience you verified in the previous step qualify as quote professional planning experience unquote it's important to note and keep in mind as we go through these that these essays are extremely short with a very specific length limitation between 250 and 500 words I promise, once you start writing these, you will very quickly run out of space. The answers also have to be based on your verified experience, and you can't double-dip your answers, like using the same event or activity for multiple questions. And you can't use the information in one answer to build on for the answer in another. Each answer is basically an island unto itself. The first criteria essay wants you to... Demonstrate a professional level of responsibility and resourcefulness while applying a planning process appropriate to the project or situation. Now, full disclosure, I hated this one the most. It's ridiculously vague and uses a lot of ambiguous descriptors. The AICP Guide, Part 1, does provide some examples of planning processes and professional responsibilities, which should be the major key here look at your work experience and see if any of it falls under the examples of a planning process like comprehensive or sub area plans zoning and development reviews project design or evaluation that type of stuff from there look at the list of examples for planning responsibilities and see which ones you do or did in the service of the planning process you chose now basically take those and write it down in a story form so that your roles and methodology is self-evident. And be sure to make all of the connections between you, the planning responsibilities, and the planning process. Do not make the mistake of just outlining the steps and do not make the mistake of not making it clear that it was you doing these things. They want to know what you did, not what the team did or what a general step does. Just make sure you walk it through step-by-step making the connections, and you should be just fine. The second criterion is to evaluate multiple impacts to a community when implementing a professional planning task. For this essay, you first need to identify a professional planning task and then describe how you evaluated multiple impacts to a community within the scope of that task. Again, the AICP Guide Part 1 provides some examples of a professional planning task that would necessitate evaluating multiple impacts. Comp and sub-area plan making, land use or zoning reg analysis, development projects, etc. Potential impacts could really range anywhere from impacts to housing or housing affordability, impacts to the environment or cultural resources, economic impacts, job growth, the list goes on. This one is definitely more straightforward than the last, but keep your attention on the evaluation process you went through as opposed to just the steps you took. The third and final criterion essay is about influencing the public decision making in the public interest. This essay wants you to explain how, in your verified experience of course, you were able to influence a public decision in the public interest. Now, influence can be taken any number of ways, but so long as an action you took contributed to the outcome of a public decision, like the adoption of a plan, variance or zoning permit approvals, as long as it was a discretionary project and not ministerial, this one will be a lot trickier for private sector applicants. But there has to be a project you worked on where you provided a recommendation that was approved, or even just presented to some of your research or data findings. All of those are ways that you've influenced the public decision. So when you're writing this one out, focus on what your deliverable was that impacted the decision, and more importantly, how that deliverable was taken into account and influenced the decision. It's also important to note that the decision needs to be in favor of what you are arguing for. You'll need to identify the specifics here as well, like what the decision ultimately was, who made it, etc. So make sure you are concise. I can't stress enough how quickly you can run out of words for the length requirement. So think short and direct. You don't get points for fluff language. That's it. Easy, right? Let's say it looks like you meet the eligibility requirements for experience based on your education and you know what examples you want to use for your criteria questions so you can work out those ahead of time. What's the schedule for applications and taking the exam? Is it ongoing? Well, no, it's definitely not ongoing. The exam is administered twice a year, in May and in November. For the May exam, your application window will be the month of December. And if you're looking at the November exam, your application will be the month of June. Now, if you apply within the first week of these windows, you'll be considered an early bird applicant. All that really means is that you get your approval or denial response sooner and you'll have the ability to resubmit your application, which can be extremely valuable. So, I highly recommend starting the application early in order to meet the early bird deadlines. So, what happens when you get your application in, and you get your response letter back, and you've been denied? Well, all is not lost here. You do have the ability to appeal the decision, and I highly recommend you do so. Worst case scenario, you don't win the appeal best case scenario, you do. And your application is then considered approved just like if it were approved from the get-go. And approval is good for three years too, so if you don't end up passing, you don't have to reapply and pay the extra application fees again, at least for three years. When writing the appeal though, please, 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 do not be personal in it, or use any language at all that would even remotely insinuate an emotional response. Keep it clean, keep it calm, keep it factual, and keep it on point. In full disclosure, my application was actually denied because of my response to Criterion 1. I appealed the decision, and over the course of about three pages or so and using logical arguments, I convinced the AICP appeals to reverse their decision and approve my application. So just to know that denial decisions can be reversed so just don't lose hope if it happens to you well thanks again for joining us i know all of this is a lot but breathe it isn't so bad especially once you get into it all of the links for the references we talked about here can be found in the show notes including links to the aicp guide part one which i definitely recommend downloading when working on your essays Pages 24 and 25 provide some good checklist bullet points to help make sure you've answered them appropriately and adequately. And if you have any questions that you want to follow up on, feel free to reach out to me at the very AICPguide at gmail.com and I'll do my best to help out if I can. Otherwise, you can always reach out to your local APA chapter and I'm sure they'd be happy to help. Don't forget to subscribe so you can follow along with future episodes to help prepare for the exam. Until next time.